You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. Our mission is to reach people, release heaven, and restore culture, sharing in the love of Jesus and all we do. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, my family just got back from Disney World for a week. Thank you. I know you're jealous. I don't like roller coasters and I don't like lines, but I love my children. So I love their faces. But man, um, I, was, I was waiting in line at one of the parks, and this guy, he worked there. He didn't look like he was real thrilled to work there. And he said, welcome to Disney World, where it's Black Friday every day. <laughs> I thought, that's a pretty accurate description. Uh, he's like, every day is Black Friday at Disney World. I was like, yeah, pretty much. But uh, I, I, do love, I do love the awe and the wonder of, you know, whether you like it or not, that's fine, but I like it. I, I, uh, <laughs> I also did a, I went to, so we left Disney World. You're going to get my story time for a minute. We left Disney World, and we went straight to a funeral. That was weird. <laughs> it's like going from the happiest place on earth to not the happiest place on earth. And uh, but it was interesting because we went to this funeral. It was a friend's father and a uh, very good friend of this house. And his dad passed away. Um, and so we went, and he asked me to close it out. I didn't know his dad, but I knew him well. And so uh, I, uh, <laughs> it was like a really happy funeral. <laughs> it was like an actual celebration. You know, they say they have celebrations of life. The problem is most of them don't have celebration or life. <laughs> They're just typically not, you know. And this one was truly a celebration of life. And um, it was just happy and exciting, you know. And um, it's down to the last, like, the, the end. And people are finishing up. They got three things left. Two people are going to read something and then a song, and then I'll close. And um, one person came up and read a letter from the wife to the husband who had deceased. I was like, everyone is, like, weeping. And then the next person read a eulogy from their son. And then they played a song called Mercy Seat. And they're like, now, John, come on up. And I was like, you serious right now? But, but here's, here was one of the cool things. Um, in this, it was such a beautiful, it was such a beautiful um, celebration of this minister's life. He was very influential. And um, there was one point in this song that, like, I saw the visible, only thing I can say is like, you know when you first wake up and your eyes are foggy, you open your eyes, and it's kind of like this hazy fog. I saw the presence of the Lord show up. And I was, I, was, I, was, I was worshiping on the front row, and I saw like this presence of the Lord show up on the stage. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on? And the Lord said, I've come to honor him. And, uh, I, you know, a few more tears. And, uh, you know, it was just such a powerful thing. And, and it really put me on this, this feeling for today of honor and um, of just the power of honor. You know, the Bible says that if you honor the prophet, you get the prophet's reward. I don't believe it's just for the prophet, though. I believe when you can honor someone else, you can begin to see what God is doing in them. I think that honor is truly the lens that we need to see through. When you don't see through honor, you won't be able to see what God is doing. When you don't see it through honor, you'll see faults. Thanks. I, I, um, I get tired of, you know, I, I get tired. You know, one of the things the Lord's had me doing recently has been going and listening to a lot of people that I don't agree with. 
and, and finding the honor in what they're doing. And I've been listening to different churches, different preachers that like some of them, like it's so hard for me because it's just not my style. But the Lord's like, honor what they're doing. And I think it's a really big deal. I think it's a really big deal that we never think that we've got it figured out and other people are wrong. I think it's a really big deal that we realize that we are a stream, not the river. <laughs> because we get into these different, we get into these different um, filters of churches that we can all think that we've got it figured out. And the reality is, is that we're all a piece of the kingdom. But the gates, and we're just a piece of what God is doing. That's it. That's it. And we are not the fullness of it because God created it where the fullness wouldn't happen unless the church actually came together. It won't. We'll never experience the fullness until the body of Christ has completely come together. And then we'll begin to experience the fullness. And so I think it's important for us. I have no idea why I'm talking about this. It's not my notes. Um, I think it's important for us to recognize the necessity for us that when we hear people or things that we disagree with, to be able to position our hearts in honor to see what God is doing through them. How to preach, and I'm preaching it. It's so important. It's so important. I, and, and I have to even, you know, guard my heart because I get irritated by people that dishonor. And then I can dishonor the dishonorers. You know what I mean? You're like, you're, you're a jerk, you know, and then I'm dishonoring them, you know. And it's like it's, it's this act of keeping your heart, you know, just rooted in the Lord and being able to honor what he's doing. But it's, you know, Randall Worley said something to me that I thought was so good. The first time I talked to Randall, he told me about he, the denomination he'd been a part of for many years. And he said, you know, in his deep Randall Worley voice, he's like, John. He's like, I, he said, I believe that, he said, it's not so much that they're wrong as much as they're often just incomplete. He said, we often look at other denominations and say they're wrong when in all reality they're incomplete. Yeah, so that was free. I, this is going to be fun. I'm just going to read a scripture and we're going to see what comes out. You good with that? Okay, cool. You guys like the Bible? That's a good, good thing to amen. I, I, was, um, I was preparing, and I was just, the Lord just took me to this scripture. In the past couple of weeks, I've preached. I've been on the servant leadership and the heart of a servant, and I took you through uh, Luke chapter 9 when, when Jesus, you know, the disciples were fighting funny scripture to me. They were arguing who's the best, right? You know, they're, and Jesus did not, you know, he didn't. Come on, guys. You know, like, there's something about Jesus that when you get around him, you feel great. <laughs> like, if you don't feel great when you go to church, there's something missing. Because there is something about when you get around Jesus, you should feel great. He didn't have a problem with them feeling great, but he needed to redirect what they thought greatness was. And I know many of you heard me preach this two times, but just give me three minutes and I'll be done with it. Jesus comes to them, and, and they say, you know, we've, you know who's the greatest? And, and uh, you know, Jesus says, well, basically, um, the least of you, those that serve, I'm paraphrasing, go read Luke 9. He said, you're the ones that are great. And then he does something interesting. He brings a little kid in, this little child, and he says, those of you that serve this child, that's great. And I, you know, I shared this last, last time I preached, and we kind of ended off on a funny note. But the thing with kids is, is like, I, I, I rack my brain, like, like, why did you bring a kid in? And I truly believe it's because when you do something for a kid, they really are not going to thank you, and they don't care that much. How many parents know when you do things for your children, most of the time you're not going to get a thank you? 
I'm not saying it should be that way, but I'm just saying in reality that when, if I were to go over here into this classroom and grab a three-year-old and, you know, a car is coming through the parking lot and I grab their hand and pull them back, they're going to be like, stop it. I just saved your life. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And, and, like, I believe there's a picture there with Jesus that's like when you can do it for someone that's not going to give you thanks, your heart's right. And so he gives, this, he gives this passage on this teaching on what greatness really is, and it's really on being a servant. And then we go into the next chapter, and I was reading on today, and that's kind of what we're going to do. So just grab Luke 10 if you've got your Bibles or your phones or whatever you're using. And we're going to just go through this a little bit because I think there's some real nuggets in here. One of the things I like to do when I read Scripture is I like to see things that are correlations between, you know, Old Testament prototypes and New Testament, you know, New Covenant realities. For example, um, when, when, the, when uh, they parted the, the, the Red Sea, I learned this uh, not too long ago and it really blew my mind. When the Red Sea was parted, it was rolled back two different directions. It was rolled all the way back to a town called Adam, and the other side was rolled all the way back to the Jordan River, which was death, and they crossed through. Such a powerful picture of the work of the cross that was to come, of, of preparing a way to be able to walk through, of Jesus coming and repairing things all the way back to Adam and saying and rolling back death. And we see things throughout Scripture that, for me, I love to find the, the areas that are pointing towards something greater. And in Luke chapter 10, we're just going to start reading and see what the Holy Spirit speaks. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 says, And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and the place that he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Everybody say, go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Let's stop there. This is where it gets fun. There's this beautiful picture that's being painted. We see in another place in the Old Testament where Moses actually picked 72 elders and anointed them to do the work. Here we have Jesus that's picking 72 disciples. And he said, here's the deal. I'm going to send you ahead of me. Now, this is before, this is, you know, B.C., this is before the cross. And he is beginning to paint a picture of what I believe is, is basically Jesus' model of winning a city for the Lord. And he said, I'm going to send you ahead of me. What does that mean? I'm going to send the miracle workers before the Jesus encounter. I'm going to send you guys out, and I'll come behind you, and I'm going to encounter them next. And it said that he appointed, everybody say appointed. He appointed 72. The word appointed is important because he didn't just send out 72. The word appointed means that he equipped. He equipped them with what was necessary to send them out. Now, this is important because if all we're doing is building a church that's all about how many people can I get saved I don't think we're following the model, in my opinion, that Jesus said that we need to appoint people and send them out. We need to equip people and send them out. We need to equip them and send them. 
And he's painting this picture here where he's saying, I'm going to send you guys ahead, but I'm not going to just send you out. I have equipped you for this. You're ready. Now, you guys got to realize, you guys have been sitting in the Spirit-filled church, many of you, for many, many years. This is nothing new to you. These guys have never done anything like this. This is, this is like new to them. We're going to go out. We've been watching Jesus do some pretty cool stuff, but now Jesus is telling me it's your turn. Tag, you're it. Go. And so he sends these 72 out, and they go ahead, and what are they were doing? It says that they were preparing cities for an encounter with Jesus. Amen. This is unique to me. They were preparing cities for an encounter with Jesus. Moses, we see these parallels. Uh, you know, when, when Moses went up, you remember when Moses went up on the mountain and he got the laws, he got the commandments, and then he came down. The Bible said that on that day that 3,000 people perished. Fast forward, we see a parallel. We see an Acts. We see the Holy Spirit was poured out. And how many people gave their life to Jesus on that day? 3,000. When the law was given, 3,000 died. When the new covenant was given, the Holy Spirit was given, 3,000 lived. The entire ministry of Jesus was coming and restoring what was lost. It was saying, there is a better way to do this now. And here he is. We've, we, we see it in other places, even with, with when Moses, there's so many parallels with Moses and Jesus. Moses went up on a mountain and got the laws. Remember when Jesus went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and he laid out the new realities of the kingdom? Two, complete, two amazing encounters, but Jesus coming and saying, everything's changed now. Everything's changed now. Moses appointed and anointed 72 elders. You can find that, by the way, in, in uh, what was it, Numbers? Numbers 11. Numbers 11, you can find that. Jesus sent out 72 disciples. Let's read on. Uh, verse 3 again. And it says, Go, I am sending you out like a lamb, like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse. A lot of your translations will say a money belt or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. Stop there. First say, peace to this house. The power of Jesus was in the name of Jesus. The authority of Jesus was in the sending. This is important. This is why it's important that people, you, if you feel God... Um, leading you out of a church. It's why it's important to be sent. I'm going to hit pause here because um, I've already made you uncomfortable today. Let's go further. <laughs> this is important. If you feel God leading you out of the gate at some point, great. But being sent is powerful, not just having went. Because when you're sent, you're sent. God will send you into something new. You see, there's power in the name of Jesus, but the authority is in having been sent. I wish so often that people that feel like they're leaving the church would just talk to someone and just say, hey, because we would love, you know, to send people and bless people. And so often people just fade out in the spirit. But there is something about being sent into the next season that God has for you. 
And here we see that the Lord is sending them. And then he says this. He says, I'm sending you like lambs in the midst of wolves. This is really fun. This, guys, this has to be interesting for them. He's like, all right, guys, you're up. By the way, you're going to be like lambs in the middle of wolves. And by the way, you're not going to have any money. You're not going to bring any resources. And you're not even going to get to take your shoes. Some of you are like, this feels what it's like to be called by God sometimes. <laughs> How many know what I'm talking about? How many of you have ever said yes and you didn't know how the rest was going to work out? Let's try that again. How many of you have ever said yes and you didn't know how the rest was going to work out? I'm in that boat right now with things in my life where I've said yes and I'm like, all right, the rest is up to you. I said yes. I don't know how many nights my wife and I, we've, we've talked and she's like, all I know is that God told us to do this and we said yes. And we root ourselves in that because there's authority in that. If we know that he sent us into something, then I have authority. And if I can bring authority into the situation, I can change it. This is why when people step into something that God never sent you into and then you're praying for him to bail you out, it doesn't always work out the way you wanted it to. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go do this for Jesus. Some people are so excited, but it's like, did he send you to do that? Because if not, you're going solo, pal. Yeah, he's with you. He'll comfort you. He'll edify you. He'll love you. He'll be right there. But he may say, go back to where I last put you. I tell people all the time, they say, I don't hear a voice of God anymore. I said, well, what was the last thing you heard, and did you do it? Because sometimes you need to go back and say, what was the last thing I heard him clearly say? And I'm going to land there, and I'm going to hang there. And so Jesus tells him, he says, he says, listen, guys, I'm sending you out like a lamb among wolves. Does this sound familiar at all about like someone who, when John the Baptist saw him in the distance, said, behold, the lamb of God? Do you see Jesus bringing them in into the fellowship of his suffering? He says, listen, you're going to be like a lamb among wolves. I don't actually think, though, he was saying that in a way like you're really in trouble. I think Jesus knew the power of a lamb. I think Jesus knew that you're going to be okay because you're a lamb. Jesus came as a lamb amongst wolves. He knew the power of the lamb. Jesus understood that. For some of you, someone, you know, we, we face things daily. We face situations where there's so much opportunity for fear and worry and anxiety. And we feel like at times, I'm like a lamb in the middle of wolves. Good news, you're a lamb in the middle of wolves. <laughs> Only in the kingdom is the lamb greater than the wolves. Yes. Things are different in the kingdom of God. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. It's just upside down. The last shall be first. The lambs overcome the wolves. This is called the kingdom. And he said, I'm sending you out like a lamb in the middle of wolves. Jesus. Jesus in Philippians, the scripture said that But he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Jesus is saying, I've done all this. 
it's your turn. Jesus was also teaching them something important about ministry, is that he was trying to bring them into the reality of there is sufferings if you're going to partner up with me. You're going to go turn cities upside down for me. But don't think that it doesn't come without a cost. Gate, don't think that it doesn't come without a cost. If you want to win Charlotte for the Lord, I'm right there with you. But it costs something to win Charlotte. It costs things like your time. (laughs) It costs things like money. It costs things like energy. There's a cost. And here's, here's, here's the Lord. He's the one that he came to earth. He laid aside everything. He came and he became a servant. And he says to these guys, I'm sending you ahead of me. You're going to feel like wolves. And by the way, you don't get to bring your money belt. What's that mean? You have no resources of your own. You don't get to take your knapsack, your book bag. You don't even get to bring a change of clothes. And by the way, leave your sandals. What does that have anything to do with? Not wearing sandals was a sign of a servant. Jesus said, I'm sending you ahead of me. You're going to do mighty things, but realize you're not going to have the provision that you're used to. You're not going to have the resources that have been comfortable for you, and you're going to go as a servant. You see the picture of the Lamb of God as he's raising up his disciples and he's sending them out and they're joining together with him in this. And then he goes on in verse 5 and says this, and when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. I actually think, I actually believe the key to Reformation is in this passage, this little passage. Because if we could get sons and daughters of peace into every area of culture, we will begin to see breakthrough in every stream. Because when God says, I'm looking for sons and daughters of peace that I can extend my presence to, and we have got people that haven't all gathered into what we have done for so many years and think that the church is the the climax of ministry, But we actually realize we need people in finances and in the movies and in, you know, everything, health. You you name it. We need a believer there. Why? Because the Lord is looking for sons and daughters where he can say, where can I pour out my peace? Where can I pour out my presence? I believe believe there's a key of, of seeing a city reformed to what God wanted it to be by just seeing strategically people placed in culture, that God says, that's a son of peace. That's a daughter of peace. Take this. And shalom comes. And what does shalom do? The transliteral definition of shalom is to destroy the authority that establishes chaos. What would it look like if every business that had a believer in it, just like Solomon said, that there was no war, there was no chaos around them? Why do you think Solomon was people wanted to travel from everywhere to come and be in his presence because not only did he, was he excellent, but he also had no war around him. He had peace surrounding him because he was walking in such a level of wisdom. What would it look like, though, if we began to see a believer came into this business and all we know, you don't have to, by the way, run the business. <laughs> you don't have to run the business. If you run the business, great. If you don't, great. 
Joseph didn't run the country, but the one who did run the country let Joseph run it on his behalf. (laughs) You don't have to run the business. But what would it look like if we had people that began to step into businesses? And and all we know is that when you came here, the chaos quit. All we know is all the chaos that, you know, listen, it shouldn't be the other way around. (laughs) Can I just say that? (laughs) You shouldn't bring chaos. I mean, I have, I've met some people that it's a genuinely a very big concern for me when I feel like they're around me and they're believers. I feel chaos constantly, and I begin to realize there's some areas that they need to come into breakthrough. And I'm cautious with my boundaries with those people. I'll love them, but I'm cautious with that. You have the freedom to be that way also. Jesus said, looking for sons and daughters of peace. And he says in the scripture, he says, I'm sending you out. And he says this. He says, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone promotes peace, a son or daughter of peace says in other translations, your peace will rest on them. I think we often confuse peace with rest. You can be in, in, <laughs> you can be in motion and be in peace. You could be asleep and be in peace. You can be working and be in peace. Let's read on. Still with me? Is this okay? All right, great. It says, verse 7, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. Mm, amen. As long as it's good food. Um, for, for the workers deserve his wages. There's a good scripture for you, by the way, that anyone who tries to challenge a minister should be paid. Jesus sent him out and said, stay there, you deserve wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is offered to you. Here we go. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is where it gets fun. The disciples are going out ahead of Jesus for the purpose, and and, and if you read on, we don't have time to go through all this. But they go out before Jesus, and he said, here's the deal, guys. We've already had this conversation about least and greatest. Hopefully, we've gotten that worked out. I'm sending you guys out. I'm going to send you ahead of me, and you are going to go in. You're going to stay with people. You're going to allow them to be hospitable to you. You deserve it. And you're going to pray for the sick. I'm taking you somewhere on this journey, okay, because we see something really big at the end of this passage that we, I, f- I feel like is key. But he says, before I come through, I need you to go through. Now, this is interesting because Jesus has a very, again, different model in the kingdom of we like to understand everything before we do it. Jesus was the understanding that was coming on the backside of the miracle. He was filtering out some things. He was sending them ahead and saying, the people that are hungry enough to get what you carry without understanding it all, go there. Can I tell you one of the greatest enemies that you can run into is is often not devils, it's your thinking. Your ability at times to be able to say, I don't understand this, but I know it's Jesus, is really big. Now, the intellects right now, you're blowing up inside. Because you're like, well, I can show you a scripture about that. Breathe. Jesus is a lot bigger than you, and he's even bigger than the Bible. 
I can show you scripture in Psalms 104, I think, that said that, that God sits in heaven and does as he wishes. I think that's his free card to do whatever he wants because he's really big. He inspired this book. He will not go contrary to this book, but he is not limited to this book. He is a great God. He will not do anything that's contrary to his word. But you need to understand that our sometimes ability to be able to sit back and say, I don't understand that, but I know you're on that Jesus is often the invitation to the breakthrough that you're believing for. I met so many people that they're believing for breakthrough, but because they can't turn off their brain, they sit there and they miss it week after week after week after week after week. Or somebody does something weird and you're like, well, I don't understand that. <laughs> you're quiet, church. I've watched people do the craziest things in church. I just give up. I'm like, Jesus, if you're in this, let's do it. I've watched people roll around on the floor. I've watched people fall down the stairs before, and it was in the spirit. I've watched people fall down the stairs, and it wasn't in the spirit. I've watched people fall down the stairs and act like it was the spirit. That was my favorite. I watched a guy get really excited and trip, hit the stairs, and then act like it was the Lord. I'm like, I saw you trip. I know that was not the Lord, but that's okay. I, there, there is a place that we come to, guys, that we have to, at, at times, put down the idol of having to understand and lift up the name of Jesus that says that you are greater than my understanding. And there's something in that. There's something in, if, we get, if, we, if you hear anything I say today, is do not limit him to what you feel like you think or you know. I've had times where I've sat in rooms with people, and they're saying things, and I was like, this is completely foreign to me, but I feel the Spirit of God on this. I, I can give you scriptural reference for it. Remember when they were walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus had disguised himself, and they said, I can't believe that we didn't recognize it was him by the burning in our hearts. What's the point? Sometimes you won't recognize it's him by your mind. You only recognize it's him by your heart. Your mind is saying, I don't understand this, but your heart is saying, I know this. This is God. And we're constantly at this war of, oh, man, my head doesn't like this. I know this. I believe. I watch, oh, man, I watch people that are married. Like some of them do this. It's, it's, it's a wife that's like, oh, give me Jesus. And the husband's like, I don't understand that. Or vice versa. And we can get into a place where we get locked up. And here's Jesus. He's sending them. He's sending them out. And he's saying, listen, here's the deal. You're going to go out. You're going to do the work of God. You're not even going to explain it. And I'm not even going to be there. I'm sending you ahead of me. I'm going to bring the encounter behind you. This is the tool he's giving them for changing cities. As you go do the works, I'll come behind you. And so, you know, they, by the way, th this is... The, the scripture here, if we, let's read ahead. Um, verse, let's jump. Oh, we're running out of time. And he talks about, he goes through this piece of scripture. If, if you want to read it later, you can. In verse 10 through verse 16. It's a really humbling piece of scripture. But he, because he says that the towns that don't receive you and the miracles that you're doing, I will reject extending grace to them. That's scary. 
Jesus said, I'm sending you boys out, and you're going to do the work of God. You're going to heal people. You're going to lay hands on people. But the towns that don't receive you, I will withhold my grace from them. Now, this is scary to me because I see a lot of different camps that completely reject all that, and I try to reconcile how these two work. But I know this much. That God, his model was always to show and tell. He would do something and then he would explain it. You're quiet, church. I know that this is, this is just, the, this just the reality. He told him, he said, listen, in verse, um, verse uh, 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to your name. This is kind of fun because I feel like it's going back to chapter 9 where they're like, who's the greatest? And they're like, even demons are submitting. It's like a bunch of kids the first time on a playground having a blast. They're having so much fun right now. They're coming back to Jesus like, even the demons submitted to him. And he replied, and, and can, I, can I hit pause? Jesus knew that it was a problem that they were getting super hyped about demons. But you know what? He didn't immediately go into that. Oh, there's such a teaching moment in this for leaders. He didn't immediately correct them and rebuke them. He immediately affirmed what was happening through what they were doing. The first thing that came out of his mouth when they said to him, we've even saw demons falling at, the, at your name. And he goes on and says this in verse, um, in verse 19, 18. He replied, I saw Satan fall like heaven from light, uh, like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I like some of the versions that say that I saw Satan topple and fall from heaven. I love that scripture. I love that definition. Why? Because I believe that Satan is enthroned on lies, he's enthroned on sickness, he's enthroned on disease, and as the disciples were going and they were bringing the kingdom and they were kicking all that, they were kicking his, he were kicking his throne out from underneath him. And it said that Satan was toppling in these cities and being brought down. This is important, guys. The key, Jesus was saying, you go into these cities, you do the works, and they go out there, and they're doing it, and they're laying hands on people, and it says that the Lord's, and they come back, even demons are bowing, and Jesus said, you know what, while you were ministering, I watched Satan toppling over and falling from heaven like lightning. What's the point? You kicked his throne out in your city. I, I think it's important to pray. I think it's, but I think we can get so caught up in trying to, Pray and find everything instead of just going out and just kicking his throne out. Laying hands on people. Releasing the kingdom of God. They went out there and it says, I watched Satan fall. And then it goes on in the next scripture and says in verse 19, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Jesus gave his followers the authority. And listen, he never rescinded this. It wasn't like, here you go, let's do a little test run, come back, I'm going to take it back now. <laughs> he said, listen, guys, it's yours. It's yours. <laughs> However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to your name, but rejoice that your names have been written in heaven
Let's wrap this up. I was reading a couple quotes as I was preparing for this. This one's from Jack Hayford. It says, the issue is certainly not to stomp on snakes and huge bugs, <laughs> but to face the most fearsome works of hell and see them, amen, overcome. It's the best amen ever. <laughs> and to see them overcome in the power of God's spirit. As we use the power he has given us, nothing shall by any means hurt you. How much pain do we suffer in fear or neglect? And we surrender this privilege to operate with such authority. The serpent will bite. The scorpion will sting. The enemy will attack. But as we use the power and authority he has given us, we will overcome the works of darkness. And then reading on, he also, on this next scripture, he said this. I lo- it says that Jesus didn't diminish their excitement in their newfound power. Oh, he's such a good leader. He didn't, he didn't come down on them like, what are you doing? I, I, one of my favorite things is watching teenagers get this. I love watching teens starting to lay hands and falling out because so much of it is so new to them. And sometimes I'm watching them, like, they're getting so excited over things, and I'm thinking, like, you're kind of way off right there. But I love how excited you are about what God's doing. And I think it's so easy to come in, and it's so easy to come in and to judge things and to cross our arms. And, well, you know, you shouldn't be getting excited about that. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. Even Jesus himself said, I'm so happy for you. He brought them around like a kind father and said, here's the deal, guys. But don't get excited. Don't find, here, here's what he was really saying. Don't find your joy in doing the ministry. Find your joy in that your family, you're in the kingdom. That's your strength. Why? Because he goes on and he says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're rooting your joy in the wrong thing, when you lose your joy, you will lose your strength. That's why when people that root their strength and their Excuse me. That's why when people root their joy in their ministry, there's an expiration date on that, baby. <laughs> because someone will come along and kick your feet out from underneath you. And everything you've poured your life into, especially in the new social media world, they'll tear it apart online. And Jesus is saying, listen, it doesn't matter. Your joy is in that you're my kid. That's your strength. Have fun. He didn't say, man, what are you doing? Just, you know, don't, don't be worried about it. He said, have fun. Do the stuff. But just remember that your joy is in your identity as a son, as a daughter. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that it was important that the, the power that they had been given was for the purpose of an encounter. Jesus understood when he sent them, he said, I'm sending you into the cities ahead of me. I'm going to come behind you. And the purpose of your power and the power you're operating in is pointing to a greater power that's coming behind you, the power to forgive. You guys, your power is legit. 
But the power of demonstrating love and forgiveness in exchange for weakness and sin and humanity, there is no greater power. I'm going to say that again. The power to be able to forgive, the power to be able to extend forgiveness, love, grace in exchange for weakness, sin, and humanity, there is no greater power. And Jesus was saying, I'm going to follow you guys. Casting out demons is accomplished in Jesus' authority, but extending forgiveness of sins, that's accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I want to encourage you guys because I felt like through this today, I felt like the Lord was saying, John, if you want to impact the city, you know, I, I, I love prayer movements and I think that we have to, everything should be rooted in prayer. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to just sit here and just pray at strongholds. I'm going to go kick the throne out from underneath Satan's behind because he's not going to be enthroned in my city on sickness and on lies and on disease, viruses. I'm so tired. Don't get me wrong. A lot of my dear friends even right now are struggling with COVID. It doesn't change anything. I hate it. No, I hate it as much as I hate cancer. And I'm ready to see Jesus kick out. He came to, re- to restore. He came to bring wholeness and healing. He didn't come to just get you into heaven. He came to bring heaven to you. He didn't come just to say, you get to go now. He came to say, now I get to show you what you can do in relationship with me. And this is so important. He was showing that this, is, this was before the cross. This is before the Holy Spirit was poured out. They were babies. They had no idea what they were doing. He just said, go ahead. And by the way, let me know if they don't receive you, because if they don't, I'm going to pull back, and I can't extend grace to them. I believe that there's a picture of this being painted by him in these couple passages of the importance of, he said, I'm going to send you. Listen, guys, if you're, going to, if you're going to follow Jesus in your life, you're going to be sent at times and to do things that looks like a big risk. And just like when he sent the 72, he says, by the way, you're going to have to leave behind. Your finances aren't going to work for this. You can't bring your backup bag. And you're going to have to leave your shoes. You're going to look like a servant. And you're going to be like a lamb amongst wolves, but that's okay because I know the power of a lamb. Can I just say to you guys that you are like lambs amongst wolves, and that's great news because the world needs lambs. They need, they need believers. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. He wasn't telling it to scare them. Don't be scared. Go for it. They were shocked what happened when they stepped out in faith and did what he said to do, and it worked. (laughs) And don't put it on your time frame. That's the biggest thing that, oh, man, it's the biggest struggle of spirit-filled churches is time, timing. So So much of the time what you're hearing is correct and your timing is off. We all deal with that, by the way. Jesus is saying, it works. Go. I want to see a city genuinely changed. 
And I believe there's keys in this. I believe that we need to go out and we need to go ahead of the counter. You see, we get to bring the encounter of Jesus with us. And this may sound like elementary stuff to some of you, but that's okay. We need this. We need the realigning of this. Because I don't, I don't, the devil doesn't get to stay in my city. I said the devil doesn't get to stay in my city. I'm being bold now, okay? And I need you to be bold with me. He doesn't get to stay in my city. It was never meant for him. It was never built for him. The queen city was always built for the king. And it was not built for that serpent. And he doesn't get to stay. And as we, as we demonstrate the love of God and as we demonstrate the power of God and bring people to an encounter with Jesus, he will be dethroned. And that's what we're going to do. You've been listening to The Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message. We're sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.